afternoon and welcome to the latest edition of the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. I'm your host, Sheila Dean. Humbly, I think I got my day escape out of order for the 100 days of Colin, so I do report a correction that today is day 43 of 100 days of Colin. So, for the record, mistakes were made, math was mishandled, and today is day 43 of 100 Days of Colin. So, very cool things going on in the world. Um, Before I get going with my reading of today's um, edition of The Great Reset by, written by Glenn Beck, um, I wanted to indicate that Strive Financial Management, it's a Strive Asset Management and you know what? I'm not the most versed on all of these things, but I am kind of interested in fiduciary because they are a really cool amenity for people who want to make money and you know manage their capital. People make money. Sometimes they want more money, so they take the money that they have and they invest it in other companies so that they can have more. Hey, Blotty. Uh, I want to pay a special note to Blotty, who's really great. Um, addition to any program, I just wanted to say, Blotty, I am going to take special time halting and pacing my uh, my speech in our interchange so that it is better conversation. So it is a conversation rather than, you know, three people barking all together at the same time. That way we can have a better, the listeners fare better, and we also have a good conversation. So that's my offering to you, uh, to the listeners, and uh, for thanking you for joining the program. So yes, yeah, Strive Asset Management. So they had a they had a webinar today, which I attended, and I thought was really really cool. Um, their whole thing is to join um, letters and issue based. Uh, counter management to some of the ESG driven um, agendas that have kind of been adopted through USB and BlackRock and some of the other financial management people in the field. So it's getting kind of complicated, but it, it at the, the fundamentals, it isn't. Um, the way it's been going is that people, they put their nest egg, they take their money and they say, hey BlackRock, invest this for me because you know what you're doing. And then uh, BlackRock takes the money and invests it in a a broad range of portfolios so that it will be turning over more coin. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, So, but BlackRock hasn't just been doing that. They've been doing um, environmental sustainability governance which is in the Great Reset's cache of MMT things that they've been doing. So as we've been reading this Great Reset um, book, it's been explaining some of these concepts very well to, to get to know and for people to understand uh, so that, you know, we covered SDGs last time, which is sustainability, oh, I can't recall it, just SDGs. Let me pull it up here. Goals for sustainable development. 
their sustainable development goals, which, you know, on its face doesn't sound like a very um, scary thing. Sustainability, the concept has been around for years and years and years, decades, and it's to create um, resilient methods of, of eco-friendly commerce and adopt practices that are less harmful to the environment and that can be renewed over time without with low low impact to, to the to the global environment you know and we, we have a more sustainable world we can get along with with less poisonous outcomes and so at the beginning that's what it meant it doesn't mean that anymore um, so SDGs has been kind of corporatized um, as a UN goal and now it's being integrated with national identity requirements uh, for monetary transactions that are completely paperless. So the paper is the problem that they've decided to solve. So in order for the paper to be solved, you must not use any paper, no receipts, no uh, tickets, no paper. Everything must be handled as a digital transaction. And there's arguments that, okay, well, if I'm device-reliant for everything I do, then that's going to create a lot of junk and uh, technological uh, waste and extra heat coming from phones, mining of lithium for additional batteries. But then, of course, the counter-argument would be, well, you're going to use a phone anyway, so you might, might as well use it the way that we want you to use it for cash and in exchange for well you know I mean but I but I would argue that cash is cooler meaning like it doesn't generate any heat <laughs> uh, and you know if you use renewable pulp this is a non-issue um, they just want to control the transactions and, and use it, it it boils down to integrating all of your health and employment information and economic banking information into one one data chunk so that we can have a, a, a social control system that mimics that of China the, in the social credit system. You know, they're, they're not really mincing what it is. I mean, I, I've, I've played it for you before the... I'll play it for you again. But this is the UN um, the UN digital ID Digital transformation is changing the way we manage our data, our information, our interactions, and our identities online. The United Nations is ready to digitally transform how it deals with identity, with a system to streamline information sharing, daily workflows, access to platforms and buildings, operating across agencies, by providing its personnel with a universal system-wide identity solution. Introducing the UN Digital ID. A unique and digital identity for UN personnel, from the day you join to the day you part. All of your personal, HR, medical, travel, security, payroll and pension data in the palm of your hand, giving you full control on what you share and with whom. With blockchain and biometrics, the UN Digital ID makes verification efficient, secure, transparent, immutable, portable and universal. It's been piloted by different agencies and the UN Pension Fund, where they've replaced current manual processes with certainty for who and where pension recipients say they are at any given time. Imagine a regional field office has just joined the UN. She uses the mobile app to obtain a digital wallet. 
stored securely in her smartphone and only accessible to her with biometrics. Even better than a physical wallet, she can store all her credentials issued by any UN organization in her digital wallet. She has immediate access to course certificates, travel clearances from UNDSS, medical records from allergies to vaccinations, also making any transfer to another organization a breeze. As innovation transforms the world, we can improve the way we manage our identities online. UN Digital IDs, a building block for digital cooperation, unlocking the promise of the SDGs. Okay, so that's the sustainability SDGs or sustainability development goals. Now, what does that actually have to do with the environment? It doesn't have anything to do with the environment. A UN global identity credential doesn't have anything to do with the environment or making any products deliverable as sustainable. It's just a concoction. So I'm going to, this is the way this thing is being nested together. Um, so I mentioned the social credit system. There is a social credit architecture that is being rolled out in, in this SGD form. Um, I'll take your call in just a moment. I want to read this one news item, bloody. Beijing's plan to control the world's data, out Google Google. So, a few cases better show how U.S.-China relations have deteriorated in the age of big data than the response of Wing Jian got when he offered, at the height of pandemic, to set up labs for COVID-19 testing in the United States. Wang is a known quantity in the world of U.S. biotech. He cut his teeth as a genetics researcher at major public research universities of Texas, Iowa, and Washington State. He's now the snowy-haired, charismatic chairman of Shenzhen-based BGI, the world's largest biotech company, which for decades has been collaborating with some of America's leading geneticists. BGI participated in the global effort to sequence the first human genome, formed a partnership with the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia to identify genes associated with pediatric diseases, and named the Institute in China after Harvard's George Church, a gene-editing pioneer who continues to work with the company. But Wang's offer ran afoul of the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, which issued a stark warning. Foreign powers can collect, store, and exploit biometric information from COVID tests. The Trump administration's top U.S. counterintelligence official, Bill Evanina, later told 60 Minutes that the labs were modern-day Trojan horses, an effort by the Chinese government to establish a foothold to bring in equipment, collect DNA, and start mining your data. No one in the U.S. took BGI up on its offer. Evanina's suspicions highlight a growing tension between the United States and China, one that is expected to get significant attention in Washington this fall. The rise of big data, the vast digital output of daily life, including data Google and Facebook collect from their users and convert it into advertising dollars, is now a matter of national security, according to some policymakers. The fear is that China's vacuuming up data about the United States and its citizens, not just to steal secrets from U.S. companies or to influence citizens, but also to build foundations of a technological hegemony in the not-too-distant future. Data, lots of it, more the better, has long has, along with the rise of artificial intelligence, taken on strategic importance. 
In recent months, more of the hawkish national security mavens in Washington, D.C. have warned that the Chinese Communist Party is aggressively moving to control all the data that flows through the country. Even data that originates from American and other Western firms working in China. This would represent an escalation of Beijing's well-established campaign of corporate espionage through the hacking and the export of Chinese-made technologies that allegedly contain backdoors for Chinese spies to access foreign data at will. China hawks are calling on the Biden administration to launch a broad review of the Chinese internet, telecom and tech companies operating in the United States, and restrict activities and the ability of to access American data of those deemed a threat to U.S. national and economic security. Complacency in the face of this threat, they say, could harm U.S. economic, military, and commercial interest and leave citizens vulnerable to spying and manipulation. Okay, I'll take this call and then I gotta do the reading. Bloody, you're on. You may unmute your mic. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. All for the digital chip. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yes, I am. You are All for a digital chip. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Uh, I think your mic cut out, bloody. As authoritarian. I'm not hearing you. Everything else as authoritarians regarding all the restrictions, whether we're not having no longer property rights, the ability to own our own cars, we're going to be charged if we go and use uh, gasoline beyond the uh, a certain amount, a certain quota. There's going to be penalties. And they're going to be able to track us, GPS, everywhere we go, like a freaking dog or cat. You know? You know? So that is their master plan. That is their 20, 21, 2030 agenda. They're not getting there like they want to because Russia's in a war and Russia doesn't want to comply. Can you blame them? I don't want to comply. Do you want to comply? I don't want to comply. As much as it wants to throw the... No, 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 no. I'm not saying that they should. I'm just saying China has their own system in place that's what's going to be in direct competition. Biblically, <clears throat> the kings of the east, referring to Russia and China, are supposed to rise up. They're there. And they're wrecking havoc. And if they're not doing what Russia's doing, wrecking havoc through war, they're at least threatening war, taking over of Taiwan. Look what they did with uh, Hong Kong, stuff like that for China, right? And trying to uh, stretch its empire. So how else will they do it? Well, they're going to do it. They're going to world power. The United Nations. It's something okay. what Iggy was Bloody. saying earlier. China, like Russia, want to use the United Nations Charter. Uh, United Nations Charter. A UN law. The United Nations has always been able to get away from that, which is good, too. But at the same time, it flexes muscle wherever it wants to. That's what the world is kind of tired of. The United States has world police. All this is going to come, whether we like it or not, or whether it's delayed by another 10, 15, 20 years. Well, I mean, I, I have a subjective disagreement with you, but, you know, at least let me get to the reading. Um, I think that there are parts of it you have... Uh, uh, a part to play and 
<laughs> Joe Citizen says, we are not complying. Those with Joe okay. Citizen is like, not complying? Count it, check me off as not complying? Um, so, unless Joe um, Citizen could I raise up an army. I just wanted to indicate that, that, let's get to the reading. Go ahead, continue. Yeah? I mean, I think you are that army. If there's, there's, these are policies, bloody. They're, they're not written in stone. And if you have objections to the way things are going, now is the time to actually do the speaking. Because these are, these CBDCs are going forward in consideration in our Congress. We don't have to do this this way, okay? You have an option right now. It doesn't have to be a totalitarian goalpost for, you know, the doomsday sect, okay? You can, you can do something about it. And I urge you, if you have any kind of resistance to the notion of, of this totalitarian hellscape, that, that maybe, maybe put in a call to a congressman or something, particularly your House Finance Committee members. Um, and, and register some opposition to this for, for your own reasons. I'm not going to stuff words in your mouth. Um, I'm just hoping that you will, you will do, do, do something on your own behalf because now is the time. So I'm going to read this other comment from Joe Citizen and then I'm going to get to the reading. It says, we are the army. We're smarter than they are, and, but we have no organization because we all like to be left the F alone. Well... Some of us are like that. Some of us are collectivists. All of us can pick up a phone and do our part and do what we can. So to the reading we go. The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the rise of the 21st century fascism. Aligning incentives. I hope I said that properly. Aligning incentives. Say, for example, government funding makes up 20% of a business's income, directly or indirectly. Please invite your friends, by the way, by going to the little man at the top of the plus and then hitting your list and inviting. On many issues, that business is going to be far more interested in keeping the government happy than focused on pleasing individual consumers. And this perversion would only get worse as the government raises its level of involvement. Eventually, individual consumers would become nothing more than an afterthought. As I mentioned at the start of this chapter, this strategy was clearly stated in Klaus Schwab's article outlining his main components of the Great Reset, published in June 2020. The second component of a Great Reset agenda would ensure that investments advance share goals, such as equality and sustainability, rather than using these funds, as well as investments from private entities and pension funds, to fill cracks in the old system, we should use them to create new ones a new one, sorry, that is more resilient, equitable, and sustainable in the long run. This means, for example, building green urban infrastructure and creative, creating incentives for industries to improve their track record on environmental social governance metrics, ESG. So another misleading word for the incentives Klaus speaks about here is coercion. And if enough money is tied to ESG metrics, that coercion could effectively become necessary to businesses in order for them to survive, especially if it is coupled with all the new taxes and regula regulations Schwab and other great re resetters also support. Additionally, it is important to note that great resetters do not always use the words environmental, social, and governance metrics when they are referring to building their new stakeholder economy but instead use terms like sustainable investment, 
and realigning incentives to convey the same radical idea. Writing for World Economic Forum and Project Syndicate in July 2020, Tallulah Oni, a physician and researcher at the University of Cambridge, said, although several global philanthropic initiatives have sought to improve urban health and resilience, Undoubtedly, with positive results, today's flawed systems need more fundamental disruption. Simply put, the world needs a new Marshall Plan for planetary health, akin to a new deal for a post-pandemic recovery. According to Oni, this new Marshall Plan would serve as a global guide in aligning incentives and shifting the default behaviors towards the shared goal of sustainable, healthy urban urban development. Sorry. It will require the agreement and participation of national and local governments, private developers, investors, and multilateral organizations, which will take time. Aligning incentives and shifting default behaviors, quote, is another way of saying bribing businesses to do what we think is the best interest of the collective in line with ESG goals. This is exactly what the Great Reset supporter Sharon Burrow the General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation, had in mind when she said during an interview about the Great Reset, we need to design policies to align with the investment in people and the environment, but above all, the longer-term perspective is about rebalancing economies. Oh my God. Burrow elaborated further in the interview, saying, we want to end the profit-at-all-cost mentality because if we don't build an economic future within a sustainable framework in which we are respectful of our planetary boundaries and the need to change our energy and technology systems, then we will not have a living planet for human beings. This is the same sort of thinking used by the French government in 2020 when crafting COVID-19 relief packages for airlines suffering under government lockdowns. As reported by The Guardian in April 2020, Some governments are seeking to attach strings to rescue plans. France's Minister for Ecological Transition, Elizabeth Bourne, insisted Air France was not getting a blank check. The government has set ecological commitments, she said, including a 50% reduction in carbon emissions on domestic flights by 2024, as well as investing in more fuel-efficient planes. Many financial institutions have already laid the groundwork for punishing companies that will not go along with the Great Reset's mandates. In February 2021, Bank of America, citing its long-standing support for the Paris Climate Agreement, issued a press release announcing that it had outlined initial steps to achieve its goal of net-zero greenhouse gases, emissions in its financing activities, operations, and supply chain before 2050 press release for the noted Bank of America continues to actively engage with its clients to help accelerate their own transitions to net zero, and it plans to establish interim science-based emission targets for high-emitting portfolios, including energy and power. In addition, Bank of America released its broader 2030 operational and supply chain goals as part of a holistic commitment to environmental sustainability. Notice that the Bank of America's goal of net-zero greenhouse gas emissions applies not only to the company's operation and supply chain, which means that everyone who does business with Bank of America would have to go along with its goals in order to keep B of A a customer, but also the bank's financing activities, which is another way of saying if you don't go green, we're not going to give your business a loan. In the same press release, 
Bank of America also touted the close relationship its CEO, Brian Moynihan, has with the World Economic Forum and his involvement with the development of World Economic Forum's ESG metrics. And then it included in this creepy quote from Bank of America Vice Chair Anne Finu Kane, who, according to the press release, leads the company's environmental, social, and government governance, st- sustainable finance, capital deployment, and public policy efforts. Quote, it is critical that we leverage all part of our business beyond our direct operations in order to accelerate the transition to a net zero global economy. We recognize that this will be no easy task, but we believe our commitment will help spur the growth of zero carbon energy and power solutions, sustainable transportation and agriculture, and other sector transformations while generating more climate resilient and equitable opportunities for our future. Boy, that sounds awfully similar to the sort of thing one might hear while attending a Great Reset meeting in Davos. Again, pay special attention to the what Bank of America is saying here. Its plan is to leverage all parts of our business beyond our direct operations in order to accelerate the transition to a net zero global economy. In other words, the plan is to push the world toward elite's goal of a global economy that has net zero carbon dioxide emissions, whether the world wants it or not by using the full weight and power of one of the wealthiest, most most influential banks on earth. Bank of America is hardly the only private financial institution pushing ESG standards and green energy mandates. In March 2021, Jane Fraser, the CEO of Citi, a bank worth more than $200 billion, published an article on the company's website titled Citi's Commitment to Net Zero by 2050. In the article, Fraser declared the climate crisis is among the top critical challenges facing our global society and economy today, and there is an urgent need for collective action. We believe that global financial institutions like Citi have the opportunity and the responsibility to play a leading role in helping drive the transition to a net-zero global economy and make good on the promise of the Paris Agreement. So how exactly does Fraser? Envision City, quote, helping drive the transition to a net zero global economy. After bragging about the various actions City has taken to reduce its own carbon footprint and to facilitate financing for low carbon solutions, Fraser wrote, our ESG agenda can't be a separate layer that sits above what we do day to day. Our commitments closing the gender pay gap to advancing racial equity, and to pioneering the green agenda have demonstrated that this is good for business and not at odds with it. And we will continue to be a part of the solution to these challenges and enable others to do so as well. Net zero means rethinking our business and helping our clients rethink theirs, Fraser added. For our banks, what some don't realize is that net zero includes not just our own operations, but also our core business impacts, including the bank's financing activities. Okay, so there was really no better time to go to this Strive piece. Strive has been doing a lot of press right now. So let's look at some of their corporate governance outlook, okay? Their approach to corporate governance is simple. Their sole goal, this is the contrapositive. 
this is the anti-ESG. These are the people who are working the market end to kind of reconstruct or kind of find a an alternative to the parallel government that's going forward right now. Okay, our pro- our approach just to, to corporate government, this is Strive, fiduciary. Uh, is simple. Our sole goal is to serve our clients' financial interests without concern for any other social or political objective. To that end, Strive advocates for the pursuit of excellence over politics in boardrooms across corporate America. We believe companies maximize values for their shareholders when they are guided by the following universal principles of excellence in capitalism. They are mission-driven, customer-centric, consistently innovated, financially disciplined, and meritocratic. They're part of a meritocracy. Strive believes in engagement rather than divestment to drive meaningful change in corporate America. And so divestment is a financial tool. It's a a stick. You know, there's supposed to be a stick and a carrot. Um, Divestment has been a financial tool stick that is removed in order to um, create like they did many things with Wells Fargo like unless you stop financing corporatized prisons Wells Fargo as an investor then we will divest and I thought that that was a pretty pretty brilliant move to, to get the investors that were on Wells Fargo or try to get people to leave, leave Wells Fargo if that's what you believe. It was quite a brilliant hack. But it shouldn't be standardized as policy so that everyone, you know, can be... You know, these are these are actions. These are protest actions. But the ESG movement wants to standardize these, these, um, these financial upheavals or the ability to create these upheavals in order to to deny or restrict the actions of um, businesses that they feel are unethical, not that are legally unethical or have done anything actually legally wrong, or could be cited by any uh, legal body or governing body. It's just we think what you ha- have done or said is wrong. So we shall take this stick away from you in the form of divestment. So that's the financial equivalent of the cancel culture. So, um, so they. This is Strive. Strive advocates on our clients' behalf to keep corporations focused on delivering excellent products and services to customers. So here are the corporate governance tools we use to advance. Excellence capitalism is shareholder proposals, shareholder voting, public engagement, private engagement, and to focus on profits. Now, this is a financial asset management company. You would think the whole point of asset management is to produce profits or to produce more money when you kind of appropriate it to them to do investments. But I guess that's not the main goal anymore. But the proof is in the pudding. This ESG governance structure 
has not been turning over the coin and it's really giving getting a lot of frowny faces because during this this downtime downturn this financial downturn and every everything's stressed the money is stretched um, being particularly you know mean-spirited over what someone said to somebody about what might look like racism uh, is not as essential as profits and loss in a strained economy uh, if you're just trying to stay in stay in the game they're just trying to hang on people have gone through so many revolutions over the last two two and a half years due to COVID and they have been jerked around financially up and down and that's been probably one of the main things that has really stressed out their lives and made things very difficult for them so when they they do have some money to set aside and they are managing it like say they have a 401k portfolio and they do want to get ahead um, they don't want to throw it in the wind and some of these investors are taking a, a kind of a nasty risk by putting it in with ESG right now it's not turning over the benefits that profits are designed to do okay for capital management so they're because they're they're going in as hot as advocates and not capital managers you see see how that works you hire them to, to manage your capital and what you get is advocacy on this ESG and it's not working out so go ahead Blotty I'll open the phones for you are you there okay I'm just gonna pull them up to the speaker column if anybody else has anything to add on this um, we're 30 minutes in and we could probably cap it there I know it, it was kind of a short read today but <laughs> I mean I really did have a lot to say um, so if anybody if nobody else has anything to say we're gonna go ahead and wrap it at that issue um, just remember strive.com uh, look at their products they've got some products here that are really interesting they've been getting a lot of press and um, they are the they've got a plan uh, for the marketplace for capital management um, to to contravene the ESG or the MMT I haven't heard any pro MMT voices but I have been followed on the network by somebody who is pro MMT um, which is interesting and so I'd like to hear from from those folks at some point just to get their point of view and to talk to them uh, but it's probably a trend that should kind of flame out in the next two to three years because it's not it's not as popular you know being subjectively sanctioned using exclusively digital tools and you know social overreach by people who aren't your government it's really not popular. It's turning out to be quite unpopular. Okay, so I'll leave it there. Thanks for joining this edition of the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. We will return tomorrow with more content. Uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing from you at that time. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. 
Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.